This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Federal Bureau of Investigation, more like faking Biden innocence or fortifying Biden intentionally or forgiving Biden injustices. The show starts now. With each passing day, this question becomes more and more important and yet still unanswered. Who does the FBI work for? Because in the last several years, or more accurately, the moment Donald J. Trump came down that golden escalator and announced his presidential candidacy, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, along with our intelligence agencies and Department of Injustice, have seemingly been working to not only take down Trump, but simultaneously to cover for protect and even work on behalf of Trump's opponents. And this week, that saga continues. Thanks to a brave FBI whistleblower, we know a file exists linking Joe Biden himself to a criminal scheme involving money for policy decisions during his vice presidency. This file is actually an internal FD 1023 memo created in 2020 and apparently details this $5 million arrangement between Joe and a foreign national. This document allegedly includes a precise description of the scheme and its purpose. Earlier this week, the House Oversight Committee was granted access to the redacted version only to be viewed from a secure facility within the Capitol. But the FBI still refuses to turn over the file in its entirety. What are they hiding? Who are they really working for? Hillary? Joe? Hunter? Obama? All of them? And it gets worse. According to House Republicans, the FBI whistleblower who bravely sounded the alarm in all of this is reportedly afraid for his life, afraid someone with something to lose in all of this could take him out for what he knows and what he shared. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene told the DailyMail.com that the foreign nation at the center of this alleged bribery scheme is, wait for it, Ukraine. Knock me over with a damn feather. I'm just shocked. If this is what it sounds like, it's treason. No bones about it. It's treason. Joining me now with his expert analysis is former FBI agent Jonathan Gillum. Jonathan, it's great to have you. Man, that used to sound really good when somebody would say former FBI agent, but it doesn't really sound good anymore, does it? I like the former part. The former part is very useful to all of us in the American public that are very confused, scratching our heads really at what's going on here. So I want to break this down a little bit. By the way, uh, Tuesday morning, you were on just ahead of me on Fox and Friends first. So I got a little bit of your take on this. But for my uh, my audience that wasn't up at five in the morning, I want to help break this down for them. So there is a file. Finally, we know the FBI has acknowledged that this file exists. These House Republicans in oversight were allowed to look at it from a secure facility with a lot of redactions to it. And now they're saying that the person that blew the whistle on this document is now afraid for their life and the FBI cannot guarantee this person's safety. Break this down for me because it all seems a little wild. So there's two. Well, uh, first of all, let's start with who's informed the uh, who the informant is. Right. So there there's a, a confidential human source that gave the information to the FBI 
And then when that information was inputted into the database that, that they have there in the FBI, it generates a, a form 1023, which is a confidential human source or CHS report form. And it kind of puts everything into uh, a basic uh, format that uh, for people to, to look at that are on the case. That is the informant that is supposedly in fear for their life. I don't think it's uh, the uh, the whistleblower, although I could be wrong. But uh, uh, what's, what I pointed out the other day about that is that when uh, Representative Luna uh, said that he was afraid for his life, whether it's the informant or whether it's the whistleblower, um, this is the ridiculousness of politics. She's now you know, reduce that to 50% where we know exactly that it's a man now. So anybody who had contact with Biden uh, since 2020 or before 2020, um, if if they had uh, nefarious contact with him, they can start looking and see who might have uh, informed on them. So the, these congressmen and women need to keep their mouths closed when they're uh, getting information. They don't get the information so they can spill it. They get the information so that they can then work out this problem. They need to look at it that way. That was the first problem that I had the other day with uh, all this information coming out. But, <clears throat> Tommy, I think it's important that we look at the form. First and foremost, there's so much information within what this form is and how it works and where it's being stored. There's three uh, big forms that the Bureau actually uses or the agents use. And this has changed a little bit um, since I was in the Bureau, right? So in the, in the FBI, they never get rid of paperwork. They just add more paperwork to make it even more complicated. So in around 2008, we went to a new Diog, which is the investigative Bible that we use in the FBI. It's all the policies and procedures and laws that we have to follow. Some of them, the policies and procedures are not law, it's what the Bureau comes up with, and so we follow that. So that's the Diog. A new Diog was created, and under Mueller and Obama, the Bureau went into from law enforcement, as the premier law enforcement, to the premier intelligence gathering agency next to the CIA, but we basically gathered information, so they told us, and nothing changed in our daily operations, but the information that was being collected was for national security for the to protect the uh, the nation in domestically and then uh, share that information also for criminal uh, cases as well. And then there's a 1023 and the 1023 is a CHS reporting form. So like I said before, when I collect information from a source, I input it in the database and that generates a 1023 which is a newer, I say in the history of the FBI, is newer. I left in 2013, and that had just come online. But what, now here's where it gets really, really complicated, is that there are new categories or caveats for this CHS reporting and for the cases that involve these, uh, these certain uh, confidential human sources. And that's called a SIMS uh, uh, category, a sensitive investigative matters category. It's not a classification, so you're not going to see sensitive or top secret or any of that stuff on there, but it's treated, whenever it's given this caveat, it's treated just like it's top secret uh, SCI, secret compartmentalized information. 
So only people that are on a roster for this investigation can see that information, even if it's not classified. So something to do with pedophiles, for instance, uh, that has to do with children, that would be considered a, uh, a sim. So not just everybody can go in there and see the name of the child. Uh, when it has to do, I mean, there's a whole host of these different things. But the one that's very peculiar is public corruption. Somehow public corruption has become mostly uh, housed under SIMS. So if, if uh, a, a public official is being investigated, this information gets housed under SIMS, and only the people who are working on that case have the ability to look at it. Anybody else looks at it, they, they get like a blank screen with X's on it. So what do you see, Tommy, when you, now that you know that, what comes to mind? This has been going on. Sims got really popular in public corruption around, wait for it, around six years ago. Imagine that. Now, what happened? What happened six years ago? That's when Trump started, when he took that ride down that escalator, when he started running for president, when he started getting into his presidency. And so public corruption cases became very protected. And only the people that are working on that case can see that. So now we see how it can be used against somebody like Trump and how it can be used to protect someone like the Bidens. So what has happened in the Bureau is that it's moved to an information gathering, weaponization, and protection of information and politicians and leftist leaders. As the average civilian out there, I think I speak for a lot of people who are just really wondering, if there's somebody out there that's saying, I have proof that Biden during his vice presidency was getting millions of dollars in exchange for policy decisions, and we have documentation of this, it feels like it would be the American public's right to know that that was going on, that maybe the FBI should escalate that, that maybe that would be something worth taking a look at. Now, I get that there's all kinds of protections and there's classified and confidential information, but the fact that we can't get to the core of it and figure out once and for all, if this was really happening, when we know that there is a money trail and a paper trail that would actually expose that very thing, how come we can't get there? I mean, you've got House Republicans, House Oversight doing their best, following the money, showing, I mean, in black and white, boom, 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 nine Biden family members, millions of dollars, but we can't seem to connect the dots enough to put somebody behind bars or impeach them or charge them with treason, which is what this really sounds like to me, to the average American. How come we can't get there? Or can we? And it's just going to take a while. Well, there's two two main reasons. Uh, well, well say, let's say three reasons. One is because the information that we're talking about is protected from other agents that if they saw it, they would say, uh, check this out, which apparently has happened, right? This one agent saw this form and then informed a Congress uh, a person about this. So that's the first problem we have is that when this information was collected, typically there'd be a preliminary investigation immediately, and we'd see if there was a reasonable suspicion to go forward on this. Um, we don't know if that happened because they say now that it was never verified. So because after we do a preliminary investigation, then we would open up a full investigation if there's evidence of structuring or uh, other crimes that are committed. We don't know if that occurred. Okay, so that's the first problem, is that the FBI is not doing their job. They're being led by uh, ideologues uh, and careerists. The second problem that we have is that 
we don't have a GOP or our representatives that we put in uh, in Washington D.C. Even the Democrats, their representatives, some people that are Democrat, you know, they would love to see if the president was doing illegal things. They would want to know about it. Not everybody that calls themselves a Democrat uh, is necessarily a far left Antifa, you know, uh, rioter. But there, none of these people are being represented. And the GOP. So I always say that the left is the enemy, but the right is the problem. The GOP, they can't even come together about a budget and decide what what the American public needs. And in these cases, they've become sound bites. So these congressmen and congresswomen and senators, they are they just get they gather enough information and they only go so far as to what will take them in front of the cameras so they can talk about it and show that they're doing something. Uh, uh, Matt Gates held up. Uh, supposedly Hunter Biden's uh, laptop hard drive, a copy of it. And then we never saw it. Well, why didn't we see it? It's not classified. We we, sh- we should have been able to see that. So um, that that is a big problem is that the, the representatives are working within the boundaries of what the FBI says they can and can't have. And when the FBI pushes back, they level something like contempt of Congress, which, okay. you know, holds about as much weight as contempt of the Girl Scouts. You know, it <laughs> doesn't really do much. So what can they do? I think that's my thing, because I'm watching Jim Jordan right. and I'm watching James Comer and I'm watching them trying to connect the dots here. And I really do believe maybe not all of them, but I do believe those two gentlemen are trying to get to the bottom of it. So from your perspective, if they're still playing within the lines and they're not going full blown, what can they do to push this across the finish line that they haven't already done? Well, there's a third component here, and that's the people. And what you see with the left is that the politicians push a narrative out through media and then the the their activists hit the street and they make threats uh they go out and will pick it whereas we'll we'll pick it a a target with our pocketbook they'll literally go to a target and keep people from getting into that target so i think the american people need to when they see something like this they need to hit streets and from my experience what history has shown is that when the people put the pressure on their representatives, somehow the information comes out. Yeah, I would hope that that would be the case. I just don't understand because they've established such a money trail here. I think that's the part of this. It's like you show the American people nine Biden family members, including a grandchild, are getting millions of dollars from foreign entities. I mean, what would they what else would they get that for? I mean, they don't have any other marketable skills beyond the Biden name and policy decisions. There's really nothing else that this could be. You don't get millions of dollars from foreign entities because, you know, they like your shoes. That's just not how this works. But my last question for you is this. We know it's going to be an uphill battle to get here. But if we did have, and I'm hoping we do, a President Donald Trump or a President Ron DeSantis in 2024, could they waltz in there? Could they peel back the onion? And could they expose this once and for all, being that they would be in that position as President of the United States? It's a tough one, uh, Tommy, because uh, they, you know, Trump didn't do it in his uh, first term because Trump had never been in government before. Now he's been in government, and he hopefully he'll see that if he gets reelected that um, that you can't trust any of the people at the top. There needs to be a clean sweep. I used to say about George Bush when he came in office after Clinton, but we now know that George Bush is 
pretty far, you know, left with the rest of these people in uh, in uh, cahoots with these, uh, you know, Obama and the rest of them. So whoever comes into office is going to have to clean house. And by that, I mean, they're going to have to take uh, the FBI out of Washington, D.C. They're going to have to get rid of the probably over 70, 80 percent of the attorneys that are that are far left in the DOD and get rid of those people and take government back to a neutral stance where it's doing the job that it's hired to do and not uh, ideological uh, movements forward. That That is almost impossible that that will actually occur. Trump and DeSantis, you know, they they need to realize that, one, if we lose Florida, we we lose uh, the any vote, really. Um, but those two guys need to come together and stop this back and forth nastiness. If they want to compete, then let them both lay out how they think that they can fix things and let us decide who's best for the job. But this nonsense that they're doing on TV all the time it is not doing anything to uh, bolster the American conservatives and Democrats and and uh, middle of the road people who might vote to save this nation. It's not doing anything to yeah. gain that vote. So that's a fight we have to win first. But whoever gets in office then has to make the commitment to fix these things, fix the voting, fix these people at the top, really drain the swamp. Trump didn't drain the swamp. He did a lot of great things, but he did not drain the swamp. And now he's he's been stuck in it ever since he he uh, got out of office. So that has to occur. Oh, I mean, it sounds like an uphill climb, but it's a it's a fight that's always worth fighting. I mean, if we don't fight the fight, then I don't know what we do. So I guess we hold out optimism. We keep trying to peel back the layers. We have trust in those that are in leadership positions that they will work for us. And I guess we just have to have some kind of a blind optimism that something's going to change. But thank you for always providing your analysis, especially from a standpoint that most Americans don't understand. Uh, they don't get it. So I appreciate your time. Yeah. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Maybe we'll have some information one of these days. I'm always here if we do. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Still ahead, let's take it back to Nashville, Tennessee for this next segment. Taxpayers here in Music City, myself included, narrowly escape paying for gender reassignment care for city employees. Wait till you hear this. More next. So about a week ago, I received an anonymous tip from a Metro Nashville City employee, and at first I couldn't believe my eyes. Was our great city, more accurately our taxpayers, about to foot the bill for city employees to receive gender reassignment? Yeah, you betcha, that was the plan. Now, luckily, the vote on this failed yesterday, but there's a whole lot more to this story. Turns out, according to my next guest, the mayor himself, John Chicken Cooper, a man I despise ever since he locked down our city and then raised our property taxes 34% to cover his ass, was the one pushing for this. Here to give us the scoop is Nashville Metro Council District 11 candidate Jeff Eastlick. All right, Jeff, so I got this as a tip, and at first I wanted to make sure I read it correctly. I was like, gender reassignment, I mean, that was number one, that... Apparently, city employees were petitioning to have this part of their coverage. Of course, it's paid for by our taxpayers. But after I dug into this a little more and after talking to you, this isn't the first time this has come up. So explain the background on this. How did we get here where a place like Nashville, a blue city in a very red state, is now advocating for employees to receive taxpayer-funded gender reassignment care? I found out about it because of a survey I got as a candidate. And I started, the question was, would I support government-funded reassignment surgery? So I started looking to find other cities and what the coverage plan was currently. And when I looked at the National Metro Benefit Plan, 
I noticed that there was an, a, a board meeting coming up. I clicked on the agenda and there it was at the very top. So yesterday when I went to speak, I didn't know it had come up before, but they said right before I started to speak that they needed to check the procedures. And I went and sat back down while they made sure that this wasn't gonna be done improperly so that they would have to start over and do it again. So I wasn't there or, or aware of the first vote, but it had come up before. And as far as I know, it will come up again. So who is pushing for this? Who is pushing for this to be on the agenda? I mean, is it the employees? Is it the council? Is it the current mayor? Who wants this coverage? I asked the administrator of the benefits board, how did this get on there? And she said back that it was the secretary of the mayor. So the mayor wanted it on there. So that's very interesting to me that the mayor is advocating for something like this. Um, I don't know if that's generally how it goes, that the mayor is advocating for coverage for certain things. I mean, there, when we talk about coverage for city employees, a lot of this is kind of, you know, the doldrums. We don't really get into the monotony of all of it. That's not really any of us that are not employees of Metro Nashville probably don't really care. But when we look at gender reassignment being number one on the petition, that just seems somewhat abnormal. I know you've looked into this. Is this something that other uh, metro areas in Tennessee cover for their employees? I believe I heard yesterday that Chattanooga and Knoxville both already have it, but their insurance is set up differently. On theirs, the person would pay 25%. On ours, they pay $1,000, and that's it. So hypothetically, if you go and work for the city of Nashville and you wanted gender reassignment, and it was too pricey for you under your current employer or too pricey for you as an individual, you could then be employed by Metro Nashville if this had gone through, and then pay $1,000 and have the taxpayers, myself, yourself included, pay for your gender reassignment care and coverage. That was actually the plan. Most of the people that spoke yesterday were saying <clears throat> on behalf of employees that they needed to be retained or future employees that this needed to be a benefit to get them to come to work for Metro. I mean, this isn't San Francisco, right? I understand that Nashville is a blue city. I understand that it's creative, but you cannot honestly tell me, not you, but these people cannot honestly tell me that there are that many people either working for the city or that want to work for the city, that their stipulation is the city, the taxpayers have to pay for their gender reassignment. I mean, we already know that the transgender community is a fraction of a fraction of the population. So the fact that this is like such a demand that this was, you know, put so much emphasis on this demand, like somehow we wouldn't retain enough employees if not for this. I mean, that seems a little, that seems a little beyond to me. Very weak. And one, the reason that I was, I'm in this council race in the first place is because of a poorly promoted rezoning plan. And it almost got through and put 49 homes on a small piece of land. And that's the exact reason that I was speaking out yesterday is because I don't think anybody knew about this. And they had, I think, nine speakers. I was the only one that spoke against it. But you think eight to one or nine to one, that would be like 90% of the people wanting it if you're doing the percentages that way. It's more like nobody knew about it except for them. So talking about them pushing it is the exact uh, point. 
Yeah, I mean, I got it as a tip because people were not talking about it. And this is a really hot topic right now. I mean, across the nation, not just in Nashville. Of course, in Tennessee, it's also a conversation because we know we have our Tennessee child protection law where you can't sexy dance in front of children, gay, straight, bi, trans, doesn't matter. You can't sexy dance in front of children. That was just struck down. So this is a conversation nationally, but this is a conversation in Tennessee. Of course, it's a conversation in Nashville. But the fact that this mayor allegedly was trying to ramrod this through without the taxpayers even understanding that they would soon be on the hook for this, it to me is just another reason why we have to get rid of John Cooper. I, I just... I mean, COVID was one thing, and then he kind of has been able to skate by. But this, I think, would infuriate and anger a lot of Nashvillians. Um, you said that this is probably going to come up again. W- what can you tell us about the likelihood, how, how this would come up, and how the taxpayers can be more aware of what they could potentially be paying for? At least two of the people came off the board or come off at the end of this month, and they only have one meeting, one meeting a month. So they're done. Depending on who comes back on, they may get a better vote next time and based on the mayor it may come up soon or not at all the next mayor do you think and i'm just asking you to speculate i mean you're not democrat republican conservative liberal you're just a a nashvillian who wants to advocate for the taxpayer thank Mm -hmm. you we appreciate it i'm obviously conservative um i'm wondering if the people of nashville davidson county if they were aware of this do you think that there would be more of a hoopla surrounding it from the feedback I was getting from anybody that I talked to about it, no one supported it. Right. So I don't think it would even be close. I think the room would have been super full yesterday, and there would have been 100 people speaking out against it rather than 8 to 1 or 9 to 1 as it was. So for the average civilian out there who doesn't make a habit of reading the minutes or going and looking up the agenda, how would you suggest that people stay informed about what's going on so when this does come up again, they can be aware and they can make their thoughts known? I don't really know because, like I said, the poorly promoted plan on the rezoning, it seems to be the way they do things. They don't, they don't want controversial things to come out. So they just poorly promote them, and then you wake up the next day and you see it on the news. If, if I hadn't and other people hadn't have gotten informed, or really the board members did a great job. They were super well-informed. They were well-read on the whole subject, and I was proud. I thought in the beginning this would be 9 to 1 or 10 to 0, and this thing would pass easily. But then I started listening to some of the board members. You could tell by the demeanor of some of them, they didn't really like the idea. But others, you couldn't tell until they started speaking. And one in particular went through six points that he had researched to find this whole thing. And the last one was the financial part. It's about one hundred and twenty-five to $140,000 for the surgery. <clears throat> but the worst part is that he talked to two urologists and you have to have a lifetime of post-care yeah. because the surgery may work aesthetically, but it doesn't work internally. Yeah, no kidding. So you're saying, okay, gender reassignment, if you go through with the whole shebang, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're talking over $100,000 easily. There can't be that many Metro Nashville City employees that make $100,000 a year as their salary. So to me, to dangle this in front of people, you're just going to get people who want to get their gender reassignment covered. 
Uh, yes. I'm glad that I'm hot on this trail now because I am like a dog with a bone on it and I will <laughs> not let it go. And please, if this comes up again, sure. let me know because I will sound the alarm. I will make sure that my fellow Nashvillians know because this is just unacceptable. It doesn't mean you're anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-whatever. Yes. But my God, I'm not going to be paying for a $100,000 surgery that requires a lifetime of care for our city employees. I mean, that's just ludicrous. If Google wants to do that, if Amazon wants to do that, you know, have fun. But Metro Nashville, I don't think our blood is that rich. I'm sorry. One lady spoke. She said that anonymously 24 people had reached out wanting to have the surgery. They were just employees. This also covers spouses, partners, and children. They did try to amend the uh, amendment halfway through saying it would only be for 20, uh, 18 plus. But the same guy that I was talking about earlier made the uh, point that your frontal cortex doesn't fully develop until you're 25 years old. So 25 should be at least the limit there. But well, plus they it's illegal in Tennessee. It isn't, now. I know. And they it's, didn't address that. Yeah, it's illegal in Tennessee. They you can't do it. that. But my God, I mean, now you go become a National City employee, that the benefits are endless. Your whole family can get a sex change. I don't think yes. so. Uh, thank goodness this failed. Yeah. Thank goodness this failed. Their main point was it was a recruiting tool for retaining and bringing in new employees. Almost everybody that spoke of the eight or nine that spoke uh, after me all said that. And my point, I, I wrote a speech, a two-minute speech sitting there in the front row because they said you have two minutes to speak. If they voted to let us speak at all, which they did, and the first line of mine was basically, without the public knowing about this, it's taxation without representation. Absolutely. Um, last question for you. If this does come up again, can members of the concerned public, do we get two minutes to speak? Because I'm very good at condensing my thoughts into two minutes. They allowed 10 people to speak for two minutes, up to, and I think nine. I'm not sure. I did, after a while, it was the same kind of argument the whole time. So I lost track of eight or nine, but eight or nine people did express themselves in a different way as far as wanting this to happen. All right, well, I will be there next time with bells on in that case. I will be standing there ready to go like it's SeaWorld, all right? I'm ready to go. Thank you for sounding you. the alarm on this, for explaining this to Nashvillians. I know that this is a local issue, but it's really not, and I would encourage everybody out there, whether you live in a city or a state that's conservative, liberal, I don't care, uh, make sure that you pay attention to what your city council is doing and what they're paying for, because they just might be having you pay for things you're even unaware of, like almost happened to us here in Nashville. Thank you, Jeff, so much, and uh, good luck to you. We need some great representation. Thank you for having me. All right, still ahead, Mike Pence and Chris Christie have entered the race, and you know I have some final thoughts. That's next. Well, Mike Pence and Chris Christie have entered the race, so the plot thickens. And no, that wasn't a Chris Christie joke, but it is time for final thoughts. Well, folks, both former Vice President Mike Pence and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie will run for president in 2024. So you know what that means? Relatively nothing, except somewhere in what I assume is a very boring room watching beige paint dry, Nikki Haley is celebrating as she is now not the most embarrassing and delusional candidate in the running. Maybe. But speaking of running, here is Chris Christie revving up the mm, crowd in New Hampshire. But I have to tell you, as I've watched the last year evolve, there's been just one question that kept going back and back and back into my mind. And it was about our country and its future. 
And I wondered what our choice was going to be. Were we going to be small or were we going to be big? Too easy. Just too easy there. Uh, I don't know who wrote that for him, but they really did him dirty. But also, it was kind of the high point of his announcement speech because he went on to say pretty much nothing else. Oh, except he supports funding Ukraine in perpetuity. But other than that, just a lot of huffing and puffing and trying to make 2012 cool again, trying to make fetch happen, if you will. But you know who has confidence in old Christie? The ladies of The View. Listen to this. Chris Christie in 2016, he, he finished sixth in the New Hampshire primary. Yeah. Um, he, but you know what? I think he can take on Trump easier than the others because he's from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, you got it, Joy. You know, that woman, I tell you what, she lives in her own little world. First, she declares that she, a white woman, knows the plight of black men in America better than actual American black man Tim Scott, and now she thinks Chris Christie can take on Donald Trump. Joy, as a Republican, I can tell you this. Christie is not a threat to Trump, and neither is Mike Pence, who has thrown his hat in the ring as well. And again, I have to wonder what these people are drinking or smoking to make them think, to make them truly believe they have a shot at the nomination or much less the White House. Perhaps the only person with less of a chance at the nomination or presidency than Nikki Haley or Chris Christie is Mike Pence. Most conservatives don't like him. Most Trump supporters hate his guts and his staunch socially conservative stances are nothing but fodder for mockery for those on the left. He literally has no base of support, none. I mean, maybe Liz Cheney, but that's about it. Both Pence and Christie will run their races, if you can even call them that, on anti-Trump bravado and long-abandoned establishment Republican talking points that expired in 2012. The anti-Trump stuff will get them maybe an inch with Democrats and liberals and people who hate Trump, and that's about it. The only serious alternative to Donald Trump is Ron DeSantis. We all know it. Now, these people have every right to run. Don't get me wrong. It's a free country, at least for now. But all these Republicans jumping into the race are really kidding themselves. It is a Don versus Ron race, and the rest of them are delusional at best. You know, I think Haley and Scott want to be vice presidential picks. Vivek wants some social clout and some name ID. And Pence and Christie, you know, I think they just want Trump to notice them, and it's kind of weird, really. This primary race is going to be a circus, but it won't be boring except for Nikki Haley, because of course, she is always boring. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to like and subscribe our OutKick YouTube channel. From Nashville, God bless and take care.